an honor to be here this morning speaking with everyone here. And uh, man, Taylor's so right. Last night, that was a blessing. This morning already, some very fundamental things for us all to consider, whether married or you're thinking about getting married or uh, any relationship that you are in. And so I thank the Lord for that. Uh, Guys, this morning, I'd like to talk about the glory of God. And uh, it's a very... uh, heavy topic that's been on my heart over the last few months, but uh, we, need, we need the Lord, and so let's pray, and we will get into it. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to just speak uh, unto you uh, before this people, uh, that this is a way that, that you can receive praise and honor and glory, and so, Lord, I just pray that uh, there be nothing in us that would resist that, that, Father, for me, that I wouldn't get in the way of you doing a work in this people, and that, Lord, we collectively, that we wouldn't get in the way of what you desire to do, but that, Father, we would simply pronounce, that we would exalt who you are in this place, and that that would pour out uh, into the lives of the people that we love, and whether that's our jobs or our school, our families, that, God, you would be the one that's broadcast, that you would be the one that's declared and pronounced with everything. And so, Lord, I just ask for your help this morning in the sense that I know I can't do it. And, Lord, we can't hear. Uh, In and of our flesh there dwelleth no good thing. And, God, we know that, that our ears are dull without the Spirit of God doing that work. And so, Lord, please... Um, be glorified today. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The first mention of the word glory in your Bible is found in Genesis 31, 1. And we know that many times the definition of a word is found in the first mention. Genesis 31, 1, it says, And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away, and and don't miss this, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. And and of that which was our father's, he hath gotten all this glory. Laban's sons, they realized that Jacob's flock had outgrown that of their fathers, and that the the glory that belonged to their father had been transferred to Jacob. Now, notice the emphasis on the word father, and then notice how Jacob speaks of Laban. In Genesis 31, 6 and 7, and also verse 9, it says, and ye know, Jacob is speaking, he says, with all my power I have served your father. And yet, what did their father do to Jacob? What did he do in response? And your father, he hath deceived me. And he changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Verse 9, thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. When I read that passage, it's difficult for me not to think of John 8, 44, where Jesus says, ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, he is a deceiver, and the father of it. Even in Genesis 31, 16, Rachel and Leah, they acknowledge that it was God, in fact, who took Laban's glory away. 
They say, for all the riches which God hath taken from our father, God is the one who took that from our father. That is ours and our children's. Now then, to Jacob, they're saying, whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. I find it interesting that in this first mention of the word glory, we have Jacob, the son of Isaac, who is a picture of Christ, and Abraham, a picture of God the Father, taking the glory of man and of another father and retrieving it for his own son. God is thus seen taking glory from a family that deceived God's man. So we see that in this first mention, the glory belongs to God. And that Jacob became the representation of that glory. In this passage, you can see a picture of God's son taking glory from the devil's family and placing it where it rightly belongs in God's family. And I was thinking about a trip that, that um, my family took when they were visiting my wife and I. This was 2006. I was living in San Francisco, California. I had just graduated with my master's study. And my parents and two brothers, they had come out to celebrate with us. And, and while they were visiting, instead of getting a hotel, we all crammed into our 350-square-foot studio apartment. That was a sight to behold. Uh, following graduation, though, we decided to visit the sites, right? We went to Alcatraz. We went to the beach, which is not warm, by the way. It's very cold. So if you ever go to Northern California, bring a, bring a jacket, right? It was freezing. Uh, and this is like in May. Uh, traveled. We traveled the Golden Gate Bridge and went up to Sausalito and, you know, went up to Mirror Woods, Fisherman's Wharf on the bay, uh, all these great places in San Francisco and around the area. And, and while all those places, they're, they're great, they were fun, we enjoyed them while we lived there, there's really nothing uh, to compare to the Sequoia National Forest. It took us about five hours to get there, and man, I'll tell you, it was worth the wait. Has anyone ever been to the Sequoia National Forest? A few of you guys, so a few of you guys know exactly what I'm speaking of. As we stepped out onto the trails, we couldn't believe our eyes. We walked by trees that were literally over 2,000 years old. It was just kind of beyond our comprehension. Trees that were larger and wider than most homes. In the Sequoia Forest, some of the larger trees are named after generals. And uh, one of them was General Sherman, and General Sherman tops them all. General Sherman is, is 36 and a half feet wide, and just from my own way of measuring, I would say that that tree is pretty much from that pillar to that pillar wide. It's enormous. Uh, it, it's something that you can't fully grasp. Most people say that, that General Sherman is anywhere from 2,300 to 2,700 years old. I can't get my head around this. I can't fully grasp the, the gravity of that. And so here's the deal. I could even say, this tree, it, it's from like that pillar to that pillar wide and, and even deeper than the whole stage. And you're like, okay, cool, cool. And, and I'm trying to explain it as best I can. And I can tell you all those things. I could even have shown you pictures. And, and man, it would show how, how small I am. It would show how enormous and, and magnificent that tree is. But yet, still yet, I, I, I couldn't truly show it to you unless you were there right? You wouldn't believe it. It's, it's so great. It's so this. It's so that. But yet still, we can't fully grasp it. And I'd like to say, if, 
if a single tree, and I, I, it's still in my head, I can't, I can't forget these things, they were just otherworldly. If a single tree, and if you consider the, the magnitude of this one part of God's creation, if it can create this great sense of all with all of its glory, how can we compare this as it relates to the matchless glory of God? When I consider the glory of God, it, I find it hard to grasp. I find it difficult to fully get my head around it. There are no measurables. There's nothing that it can be measured by. The Hebrew word for glory, kabod, is taken from the same root word, which means to be heavy. So in this figurative sense, there is a heaviness to God's glory, as if the very nature of it as if the very nature of God's glory, it compels me to bow down, to make oneself prostrate on the ground. Due to the magnificent nature of God, the very weight of God, it demands our submission. Philippians 2.10, it says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And as I consider this topic over the last few months, I've been burdened to more greatly understand God's glory in my own life. Namely, I realize that I've never really fully spent the time to consider what the word or phrase truly means. I've always just assumed that I've understood its meaning. So this morning, I'd like to share with you just a little bit of what I've learned regarding the glory of God. Let's begin with point one. Number one is this. God's glory is to be exalted above his creation. God's glory is to be exalted above his creation. Luke 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Psalm 57, 5, it says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let thy glory be above all the earth. In Psalm 57, David is hiding in a cave. He is fearful for his life. He is crying out to God. He is saying, be exalted, God. May your name rise above my adversaries, that I would see you as greater than any circumstance. May your glory be higher than my hurt, that you would be lifted up above my fear, and that I would see you, my Redeemer, the Lord, as above the heavens and above the earth, that nothing in this creation is to compare with you. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so whom shall I fear? Exodus chapter 3 Verses 13 and 14, it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, Well, what? Who's that? What's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You want to know what my name is? You want to know what to tell them? I am hath sent me unto you. God tells Moses that I am the self-existent one, and that I am is the only one who is to be worthy of praise. 
Revelation 1.8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So then no matter the trial, no matter the temptation, if we were to read on in Psalm 57 and verse 7, we hear, we, we hear that after David declares to God, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Later on in that same psalm, he says, And my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed upon you, O God, above all the noise. My heart is not motivated. It's not that I've become more determined. I am fixed upon God, for I serve a glorious Savior who exists beyond his creation. And so here's the first question that I'd like to ask, based upon our first key point. Is God and his glory exalted above all the other things in your life? Above the work, above your family, above the trials, above the circumstances, above the busyness? Is it louder than all the noise? Does the glory of God take that place in your life? Is it exalted above all other things? Is he Lord of all? We say these words and we can, we can quote them, we can, we can communicate, uh, communicate them to each other, and yet so often I think that they ring hollow because they just become some type of vernacular that we're used to speaking. And so when I ask you, is God and is his glory exalted above all the other things in your life? This is something that you can't just fake. You have to truly consider it and wonder, God, are you truly above these other things in my life? Are you, are you above that? Are you exalted in my life in that manner? Does God supersede? And so number one, God's glory is to be above all of his creation. Number two, God's glory is present when we confess. God's glory is present when we confess. In, jo uh, in Joshua chapter 7, we know that this is the story following the defeat from Ai. Israel was on this path of victory, and then this very small country gets in the way, and 36 men lose their lives. And Joshua is, is falling down on the ground. God even tells him, get up. Get up off the ground. Stop. Stop lying on the ground. There's sin in the camp. And in Joshua 7, 19, we have the story of Achan who, who took the accursed thing. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, give, I pray thee, what? Glory to the Lord God of Israel, how? And make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. Achan, this is a chance. This is an opportunity that you have right now to give glory to God. And the way you're going to do that is confess. Just confess. Let's start telling the truth, Achan. Let's start telling the truth. And so the thing that I ask right now is, are we telling the truth? Are we telling the truth to the congregation? Are we telling the truth to God? Are we making confession before God? By acknowledging the truth, Achan was able to give glory to God in his confession of his sin. And upon confession, don't miss this, upon confession, victory was now possible once again for Israel. 
Victory was now possible once again for the camp. The people of God that had placed their trust in God, victory was now once again on the scene because confession had been made in the camp. Why was this? Why is it that God brings his glory when confession is made? Because God's glory is back on the throne. Because God's glory is back on the throne. No longer is something else superseding the glory of God in our lives. Now we look, we consider, we know, I'm not going to let any uh, untrustworthy talk, I'm not going to let any deception, any lies get in the way of God being truly honored with my life. And so then, once again, God's glory, God's throne is placed back in its rightful place. Confession brings the glory of God into our place. Throughout the scriptures, what you will see is that the repentance and the reconciliation of lost man by the confession of our sins bring glory to God. In that, God receives glory when we confess. God receives glory when we confess. So when we confess our sins and when we confess that God is alone, true and omnipotent, our churches, brothers and sisters, I got to tell you this, our churches, we desperately need men and women who will not balk at the door of repentance, who will not balk at the door of repentance, who will recognize the error of their ways and make confession to God. If we want victory in our churches, let us, want, let us at this point consider ourselves, but also consider the church of God that we are a part of. If we want victory in our churches, it begins with confession. If we want the glory of God to be present in our lives, it begins with our confession. Jeremiah chapter 13, there is so much in this chapter. There is so much in this chapter, but I'm going to stick with verses 15 and 16. It says, hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. What does it say? Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness and before your feet stumble upon the, the dark mountains. And while ye look for light, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters." Once again, what do we see from these two passages? In the confession of our wrongdoing, we bring glory to God. But in the absence of that confession, God's judgment looms. I think sometimes because God's judgment doesn't execute itself speedily, we continue on our way. Isn't that what the Ecclesiastes say? Uh, You do it once and you look back, lightning hasn't struck you. You do it again, conscience becomes a little more seared. You do it again, and next thing you know, God's cool. God is not cool with your, with your lack of holiness. No, he's not. In the absence of confession, judgment looms. Revelation 16, 9, it says, 
and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. So when we refuse to confess our sin, we refuse the glory of God in our lives. And yet this is our choice. And it's your choice right now. And we all have a choice, don't we? We all have a choice as we're seated right now. You guys have all made the decision to, to join us at, at our all-church all retreat. You've all counted the cost. You're spending the time, the energy, your resources, all of those things. And yet right now, we still have a choice. Even though you are here with us, you still have a choice whether or not you're going to give glory with, with your lives, give glory to God with your lives. This is key question number two. Key question number two. Am I hindering the glory of God in my life, and don't miss this, and in the lives of the people of my church because I refuse to confess my sin? Am I hindering the glory of God in my life? Is the glory of God hindered in my life and in the lives of the people of my church the people that are a part of, of this local assembly, of this mission of God, is my lack of consideration for the glory of God, for the holiness of God, is my lack of consideration for the confession that needs to be made in my own life, is, is, is that hindering the glory of God in me, but yet also in your brothers and sisters who you are serving with? Am I hindering the glory of God in my life and in the lives of the people of my church because I refuse to confess my sin? Brothers and sisters, today is the day where you can confess your sin. You can confess your sin to God. You can find that person to say, listen, this is where I'm at, and I've been living a lie, and I need to confess. I need to repent, and I am telling you at that moment, the glory of God is placed back on his throne. The glory of God is placed rightly where it belongs. To me, it's very simple. When I think about how amazing it is that God's glory can be present. Can you guys think about that? I, I can't get my head around it, but it, when I consider how amazing it is that God's glory can be present, if we would simply choose to confess our sin, I just think, what's stopping us? Let's think about it just for a second. If we all would choose to reject the sin, to repent of the sin, to acknowledge it and say, God, I know that you don't want this in my life anymore, and so God, I confess it to you. I don't want it a part of my life. God, would you please, whatever you can do by your Holy Spirit living through me, allow me to live the new resurrected life in you. God, I confess it to you. Take it. And he goes, Serious about that? I'm absolutely serious. Yes, please, Lord. Okay, I'm going to be glorified in that. And yet we don't do it. And yet we, we don't live in that. When I consider that all it takes, and it's just like our salvation, we should never leave that. It's, it's just simply that we, that we relish in the grace of God. So you're saying, I just simply confess to God my sin. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I acknowledge that he is the Savior of the world, and that he died, and he rose again, and he conquered sin and death for me. And you're saying, all I have to do is say, God, would you forgive me? I confess it all to you. Would you save me? Are you saying that's what it is? I'm saying, yes, that's what it is. 
And I'm saying right now, if we would do that today, Christian, if we would confess our sins once again to him, what would he say? My glory can be found in you. (laughs) Then what's stopping us? I become moved by his grace. I become so moved by his grace and how long-suffering it is and how wonderful it is. And I realize that God is not seeking my perfection for he is perfection. I don't need to be perfect for him because he is the one who's perfect. Rather, he simply wants me to be submitted to him, a heart willing to obey And so number one, God's glory is to be exalted above his creation. That no circumstance, no trial, no family matter, no issue of your life should ever exalt itself above the glory of God. That that is only uh, only reserved for him. That it only belongs to God. And number two, God's glory is present when we confess. And number three, God's glory is intended to be seen. It is not to be concealed. God's glory is intended to be, con- uh, to be seen, not concealed. The first mention of thy glory. We've looked at the first mention of the word glory, but the first mention of thy glory is found in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. This is where Moses says, I want to see your glory, God. I want to see your glory. And the fact that God agrees to this request, don't miss this, It shows that Moses' request was according to God's will. Did you guys catch that? Moses says, show me thy glory. And God says, okay. And so the fact that God acknowledges the request and then agrees to it suggests that the prayer of Moses was according to God's will. And so God agrees to this. Why? Why would God agree to this request? Why why do we see that, that, well, okay, you said it's according to his will. Why? Because God's glory is to be seen. And God says, yes, that's what I want. Now you're talking, Moses. Now you're agreeing with me. Now your prayers are aligning with my will. This is exactly right. You want to see my glory? I want my glory to be seen. Let's begin in verse 18. Moses says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Moses asked to see God's glory, and God says, here it is. It's me. The glory you're looking for, it's found in me. There was a place, it was reserved just for Moses in the rock. An opening made just for him. As God walked by Moses, he graciously places his hand over him, thus covering Moses' sin from the eyes of God. In this we see that God's glory is found in the person of God alone. God's glory is not simply in the things he does, but rather it is found in him. It is found in his name, in the goodness of his character, 
and in his grace and mercy. And so once again, we see that God's glory is to be seen, that this is according to his will. And yet most of the time when I consider this topic and I consider the the praise, the honor, the worship, the glory of God, I wonder why so often it's hidden. Why is the glory of God hidden? Why? Is it because, as James would say, that we're not asking for it? Would to God his glory would be present in our churches? James 4, 2, it says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. It's interesting though. God actually wants his glory to be manifest in our lives. God actually wants his glory to be manifest in this world. In the Old Testament, Israel was a representation of God's glory to the world. Israel did not possess any glory of their own, but was a manifestation of the glory that belonged to God. Their nation was to be a testimony of God's grace and of his glory over the entire earth. And yet we can see the same reality in us today. When your life and my life, when our lives, they testify of God, we become a visual expression of God's glory in you. God's glory is intended to be seen. God's glory is the expression of his character. And God expects and he desires that that expression would be seen in you and I, that we would be a visual display of God's glory in this world. So then God's glory, it's not just to be seen, but it's to be seen in me. God's glory is not just something that needs to be seen in this world, but the world needs to see it in you and I. So when my life, it matches God's character, I become a visual display of God in my life that you and I, that we can look like Jesus. We can be like him. We can hold the image of Christ in our lives and the world can see Jesus in me. When my life matches God's character, I become a visual display of God in my life, which then reveals his glory in me. My life, it becomes an offering of praise, which then glorifies God, an overpouring cup of God's blessing in my life. Romans 9, 23, it says, and that he might make known that he might make manifest, that it might be declared, that it might be seen, that it might be evident, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Second Thessalonians 1.12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified, what? In you. That the, that the name of Christ, that the name of God, that, that, the, that his name, which is beyond his creation, that it would be glorified in you. You. Just you. Just me. You. 
that the God of all glory, the God of all wonder, the God of all majesty, the God whose glory exalts itself above his creation, above all the heavens, above all the earth, that it would be found in you. 1 Peter 4.14 If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. I find this to be amazing, that the God of all glory, the God whose glory reaches beyond all of his creation, don't miss this, the God whose glory reaches beyond all of his creation, this whole universe and everything that's within it, that his glory, that this glory, which only belongs to him, would rest on you. And we don't get it. We don't get it. So then is this glory of God evident in you? When people see your life, do they see the glory of God present in you? Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in me. Christ in us. The hope of glory. That God's glory would be received, revealed, extended, given, freely given to all man. And it's found in you. We house the very glory of God. It is in us. And yet, why is it that the world can't see it? Is it because the world is spiritually blind? Is it because there's spiritual blindness that's happening in part? Or is it because your blackout shades are concealing what God has always intended to be revealed? Is it spiritual blindness, or are you the one that's closing the blinds? Are you the one who's concealing what God always intended to be revealed? When Moses, when Moses walked down from the mountain after spending time with God, Moses had just spent this, this incredible amount of time with God. It was, it was so amazing, so beyond anything that, that you or I have ever participated in. He's, he's spending time with God on the mountain. He's receiving the law of God, and God is just speaking with him uh, as a friend. <laughs> So amazing. It says that after spending time with God, as he went down the mountain and as he started to speak with people, his face was so bright that no one could handle it. No one could handle it. In fact, because his face was so bright, because the glory of God had been extending upon him, that he had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't receive it. I think one of the reasons why the glory of God is not present in our lives, besides confession, is because we just don't spend time with God. You just don't spend time with him. And so when the world sees us, they see us. And the world sees our church, they see our church. I don't want the world to see my church. I don't want the world to see me. I want the world to see God's glory present in me. I want to see it just pouring out of me to where people are like, listen, I can't look at you because the glory of God is so present on your life. And what that does, it convicts people of the darkness that's present in them. Key question number three, can people recognize that you have spent time with God? Can people recognize that you have spent time with God? Do they see it? Is it visible in you? You know, I think about that time that I was in front of that tree in that sequoia forest, General Sherman. It was so magnificent. 
One could even say glorious. Pictures don't do it justice. Words fail me. You really just have to see it in person to believe it. And isn't that the case with our faith as well? We have the most beautiful gift that the world could ever know. Its splendor is matchless. And yet for so many people, it appears like a fairy tale. Could it really be true? It just seems unbelievable. I just, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like something that could exist. And, and I, I would ask the question, why is this? Why is it that the world is, is struggling so much to understand the glory of God and you? Why is it that they can't get the picture? Well, I believe it's because the world just needs to see it to believe it. The world needs to see the glory of God. And the reason why they don't believe it is because the glory of God is no longer present in us. Because his glory is not being exalted above his creation. Because we are not making confession. And because we're not looking for opportunities for his glory to be seen and manifest through me. They need, the world needs to see the glory of God actively working in you first. To see that yes, it is real. To see that yes, he is true. And it can be real for them too. The glory of God is living inside of us. And yet so often there is no light to be seen. Today can be the day to change that. May the glory of God be so visibly seen in us that the world would have no recourse. God's glory must first be seen in us for the world to believe that it can be seen in them. I'll say it again. God's glory must first be seen in us for the world to believe that it can be seen in them. Amen, Romans sixteen twenty seven. to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Father, I ask that you please use our time together as we have studied your word and that, Lord, you would prepare us to make choices to which your glory would be exalted above creation, that we would make confession to you so that your glory would be back on the throne where it belongs, and that, Father, we would make actionable steps to where your glory can be seen in us. Not us, not our churches, but Jesus Christ reigning on his throne in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would use this. I desperately pray that you would use your word today to impact souls here and even beyond. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.